Right, we're back. It's me, Kieran Morris. It's Jack Frayne Reed. We've got Hi. to cut that pause out, or we can leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot my name. <laughs> and to, oh, and, and and Tom Foster. Hi. Great, yeah, we're gonna, great we're gonna have to, to be here, here guys. <laughs> right, we're sailing in. Excellent job already. Yeah. I want to be unedited completely. Just yeah. <laughs> We'll leave um, that and we'll see how many people think it's squirming. We'll tell them it's intentional. We'll tell them it's a bit. Uh, They'll never uh, know. We can manipulate. We're that far in now. <laughs> There's going to be some structured reality around what we do. Oh, dear. Opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And, of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are. in the you know, ascendancy I, within, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that's a hard left wing position. Hard sort of left, the hard 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 left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 So yes, we've got a packed show ahead, haven't we? Oh, packed. Oh, <laughs> we've got oh. some interesting. Well, we've got an interesting comrade on. Yeah, we've got our long trail special guest. Yes, yes, we've wanted to oh. get him off for a while, so now we finally found the opportunity, and he's kindly come on our show. And should we, uh, now everyone should we is ready to meet our guest. It's Mr. George Galloway. <laughs> Mr. George Galloway has <laughs> sat <somebody's> down <laughs> with his hat, with a feather in, <laughs> and now his eyes are bloodshot. Looking increasingly <laughs> like Ray Winston. Oh, God, yeah. He's taking all of this. <laughs> you still on the line, George? <laughs> oh, oh. I, I don't think you like that. Oh, oh hello. Hello, I'm George Galloway. <laughs> George. This is the mother of all podcasts. Thank you. Thank you, George. <laughs> that is an So, we are talking today about an idol, George Tony Blair. Yes, Tony Blair. He's good. Yeah, t- Tony Blair's good. <laughs> I'm a player right now. You're a player? Oh, wow. That's fantastic, George. Superb. <laughs> Don't support what... Jeremy Corbyn anymore. Oh, why is that, George? Because cause Ken Livingston's not in the Labour Party and, <laughs> and, and he was out there at the same time as Blair, who is my hero. <laughs> wow. Well, fantastic. <laughs> right, I, I hear you've got to go back. Are you leaving now, George? Yeah, i got to go and clean my hat. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll see you later. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> right, now, we can't get any more guests for the show because that costs us £45,000. So, <laughs> if any of you would like to donate in some way, it would be yeah. greatly appreciated we're, because we're like, we are not getting any debt to Russia now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> off. Uber's hanging in the balance as well. Just now. We need to find <laughs> new sponsors. It's the deal might be times. called off any minute. <laughs> Uber are really not happy with us. Apparently we didn't set out more to destroy Trevor Merrill's. Like, <laughs> they said that we were a little bit too easy on him and, you know, we were paid to crush the voice of the cab driving working class and apparently we went up to scratch. And for that, dear listeners, <sighs> so I'm sorry. sorry. 
Well, we'll be doing another, this time, a five-part episode with Jude. That's our friend at Jude in London, dealing exclusively with Trevor Merrills and his somewhat truncated parliamentary career. Oh, you know, the brightest stars burn. Twice as bright, half as long. And that was the candidacy of Trevor Merrills, still forever (laughs) in our hearts. Bryn has disappeared. He's gone in cover back to Serbia or wherever he's been posted out, digging things (laughs) up for MI6. And Trev has uh, he's back on Just Twitter. Just a femme fatale. <laughs> da, 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 da. She's a disposable girl. No one standing outside Asta smoking crack, <laughs> selling her body to the night. <laughs> well, he's gone. Trev's R. back R. in a lower Grin. key, and Fake we're still motoring Fake on. Accounts. We are motoring on. So what's been happening? We've been following the election. Haven't we told me you've been following certain election literature that's been coming through your door? Oh, yeah. I had I happened to come across a leaflet for a local candidate standing in Warwick and Leamington. And his name is, uh, his name is Bob Dylan. And he, and he's <laughs> to the, uh, he's the guy just keeps reinventing himself. <laughs> Dylan goes oh. anti-Semitic. <laughs> like, you've seen, you've listened to a Dylan album, you've been like, shit, he's got a new voice. Like, you know, Nashville Skyline, he's got a completely different voice to John Wesley Harding. This time it's it's even more, he's got a new face. He's a different race. Like, he's, he's a person of colour all of a sudden. He's calling for a strong business voice in a changing world. <laughs> this is what he's calling for. That's a bold new approach to his music. Explicitly pro-business. So much for uh, Working Man's Blues 2. The buy-in power of a proletariat's gone down. Money's getting shallow and weak. They say low wages are reality if you want to compete abroad. These are actual Bob Dylan lyrics. <laughs> I'm trying to think what's like the most ideologically correct Dylan lyrics now. Like On Paying Blood, there's a, a where he's like another politician pumping out the piss and i quite like that one and there's various others a lot of his like anti-war songs are good yeah so when he starts going a lot more like pro-war now he's like (laughs) singing about like how much he loves halliburton (laughs) i've heard actually the new bob dylan record it's just just picture like a really idyllic like pedal steel guitar intro and then like his sort of slightly rambling piano comes in and then he's just like birmingham has become a no-go area. <laughs> we need to have a Muslim ban. <laughs> and um, uh, the buying power of the proletariat's gone down. The Eastern <laughs> Europeans have taken my job. <laughs> All on an organ, just blasting a gun. His organ. Why from 2006 <laughs> to 2009 or 12 or something did he play that god awful fucking organ? Like why not? Band- he just thought, you know, why not? <laughs> His band are so good. Like, they're so slick. He can, like, fuck with them so much and they'll still just sound absolutely beautiful. Like, he'll just change the tempo and they'll clock it and follow him and it won't sound clunky. But, like, he just fucked up that, like, beautiful sound by just, like, tooting away on this organ. Like, (laughs) it sounded ridiculous. He was not remotely adequate about it. And then in, I think, 2012, he started playing a grand piano and the bobletics was good again, baby. Did he not move eventually towards something like harpsichord or something like especially fancy? Starts playing no, like Mozart. When I, I, I actually, I saw Bob um, 
he was taking some time out for his campaign run for UKIP to play <laughs> Wembley Arena recently, and yeah, it was it was it was really good actually. I, I loved it. Even the pro Saudi Arabia stuff, especially <laughs> the pro Saudi Arabia stuff. King Abdullah, I miss you. I want to kiss your noble feet. My flag is flying at half mast for you. Oh, like, what was the other one? one oh, most beautiful tracks. The one about the Houthis, the Houthis of the enemy, but only when they're Yemeni. I thought that was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was great man like we're sat right at the back and he doesn't have screens at his shows so i couldn't fucking see him at all <laughs> like not one bit but the show itself was great i mean his band are just like the slickest musicians ever and they have to be you have to be if you're going to be in the same band as bob dylan because you just don't know what he's going to do with his own <laughs> songs he was at the piano for the whole show he came and sang a few of them like center stage without playing an instrument he didn't play any guitar any harmonica thank any organ but um it was uh, but it was great because he's just released like five albums of sinatra covers like a triple album just now <laughs> and then two records before that and he played some songs off there and he played like a load of songs off his recent albums of original material and a few classics as well like I thought quite a few, considering this is a guy who has, like, just countless famous songs. There's just no way he can play all of his hits, if you want to call them mm. that. Anyway, I could, I could just talk about this, like, forever. <laughs> <laughs> you saw, you saw, you saw a rock and roll gig, didn't you, Kieran? I saw a rock and roll god. Still functioning <laughs> and walking the earth by all accounts when he shouldn't be. The boy, the man, <laughs> as he described himself on stage, the Prince of Wales... John Cale. <laughs> oh, mate. Prince I mean, Philip like, can suck it, man. Like, retiring fucking pussy. Like, John, John Cale, Cale is still, still out there. It. He's still done fuck more than you than, like, anything you've done in your life. In every respect. <laughs> and he's still going. He's still got spiky, like, white hair. A two-tone <laughs> black and white or grey and, like, grey and black jacket. He sat at his keyboard. And, like, the idea behind the gig, it opened up Liverpool Sound City Festival. I went with three of my mates, and he gets on stage, and, like, all the, you know, the graphics behind, it's all, like, you know, Warhol, Silver Factory stuff, and, like, he starts and, like, sings. I'm waiting for the many opens with that. Nice. He sounds like Dylan when he does it, because he's, like, up at the piano doing it to, like, open it, but, like, there's always, like, sort of backing band behind him, and he's, like, it's so strange. He does, like, that, that strange, like, Bob Dylan voice, like that. Like, for all of it, and you're, like... John, you don't sing like this, but <laughs> eventually you get into it. And like the idea yeah. was the seven bands came on with like Fat White Family, The Kills, Wild Beasts all like did a song with John Cale from the album. They did like the whole album and three from like White Heat. Including so like a Velvet half Underground an and Nico. Yeah, so that first album. All Tomorrow's Party sounded awful without Nico, obviously, because, like, when you have some, like, I forget who it was. I think it might have been the Kills who did that. You know, someone who was there, including John Harris, by the way. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Comrade Tom Manning, Team Manning, 24-492, if I recall. He was there, and he messaged me and said, Kieran, John Harris is here. And I was like, no, nah, it's probably not. <laughs> Check John Harris's feed, and, like, he's got a picture of, like, the pint glass with, like, the Velvet Underground banana on. And he's like, in the other form, I'm like... Yeah. No That's way. So John no Harris, way. like only being able to express his love of the underground through a fucking pint glass. Yeah, and like <laughs> the authentic like, VU fan. I got sent a picture of the back of his head, and it's like he's in his <laughs> denim shirt. It's it's so John Harris. 
And so I, I was told the rough direction of where he might be, but I couldn't find him. So to make up for that, I just screamed John Harris after every song. So when everyone was clapping, I was like, John Harris! <laughs> so he's in there like, what the fuck's going on? Exactly. Oh, I screamed his name about six or seven times. He was right behind you. <laughs> next to you. He was just like, I'm here. Stop shouting. What would you have done if you'd have found him? Got a picture. Got a picture because I was a huge fan. Put it up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> you are on you here. Oh yeah, a massive fan. I mean, I love Britpop. Scholar of Britpop. Yeah. Yeah. I hate the working class. <laughs> you know, I, you I love, love going racism. to hear how racist they are because I do love racism. <laughs> but I also love the VU. So you know, I'm a mixed bag. A bit like John himself, and I looked like a peanut, which is something we share. Uh, what were you saying? He played for like half an hour. Oh, Sister Ray. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, it's four. Yes. It, it went into like deep house, and it like went into like all <laughs> bands like who participated all came on for it and like took different bits. That's fucking That's okay. sick. Yeah, it was fucking wild. It was really like the more I think about it, the more fucking wild it was. It was superb. Was he just on piano, or did he switch between multiple instruments? Oh, he got his viola out. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. He's still got it. Didn't but he do anything from his he solo He didn't do career? any solo stuff, no. Like, I oh, was like, man. he did, like, the weirdest thing they did, like, the most high-concept thing, which I don't think worked on stage, unfortunately, was um, Lady Godiva's Operation from White Light, White Heat. Oh, shit. I would have really? done the gift any day. He could have done that. <laughs> he did the gift. Some, like, hard backing band behind him, just, like, getting Waldo some Jeffries. crazy. Waldo Jeffries. It was blah, now mid-August. <laughs> That's a great song. On Lady Godiva's Operation, on the album, it's like a duet between Lou Reed and John Cale, isn't it? Yeah, and it's so weird. And Lou cuts John off. John's singing very softly Mm. on on that. And then Lou just cuts him off in the middle of the line, like, swiftly, punk there! (laughs) But anyway, I feel that we've talked a lot about music. (laughs) Yeah, and that's fine. There's more to us than politics. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Fine and dandy. But I, I just have a feeling, because of where this is coming in the show, our adoring fans are going to be listening to us just talk, ramble about Bob Dylan. Oh, and yeah, they're just Kale. like, shut the fuck up. They're just like, like, oh, my God, when is Matt's old cousin coming up? <laughs> and they're just like, they're frantically trying to fiddle with their sound clouds. They can't quite get it. Skipping a Oh my god, still. (laughs) Still talking about this. Into like doing the John Cale Bob Dylan voice. Oh my god. Dad lads. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, oh yeah, Just like Duggar and Watson down at the (laughs) point. Should we invite some fucking proper, like, labour authentocrat on for, like, a dad rock episode? Oh, fuck, yeah. (laughs) And I mean, like, we don't talk about politics. We set it up to everyone, like, we're going to grill them. And then we're just talking yeah. to Tom Watson about Drenge. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we need to give them like a chance to play like a tune throughout the show so they get to choose. I've chosen this tune because I believe like a it represents the summer of 97 best. You know? <laughs> From the John Cale gig, hate to bring it back, but I'll do it quickly. They had a minute silence in between. A bit tribute to Manchester. Obviously done really respectfully. Everyone sort of went quiet. They'd like got Cale to set it up. But as the minute silence happened, some drunk lad, about 50 years old, smashed. They'd been out, like, all day. He's walking through the crowd in, like, a great top and shorts. looked awful. Staggering through, just going, Teresa! Teresa! I, I can't even fucking walk! I can't walk! Oh, fucking hell! Jesus Christ! Like, bouncing into everyone. He's going, Ari, don't be fucking funny with me, lad. Fuck off. Like, knocking into people. And all you could hear as the silence was going on was, like, staggering from, like, person to person going, hey, fuck off, like that. And, like, everyone was just stood around, like, 
bite in their hands like i can't i can't laugh i can't and then the <laughs> second it like resumes like about 50 people were just crying laughing <laughs> and i know you shouldn't do that and i know that's bad but it was so so funny that sounds wild uh, so sh- should we introduce our guest then i think we should um, so we've got somebody very very high prestige coming on the show today yeah we've got an interview with matt zarb cousin formerly of corbyn's office corbyn's press spokesman for yeah. 10 months between last june and this april and yeah, the fucking he, boy like, yeah he is the fucking boy he'll be talking with us about the election about his experiences manning the comms for corbyn sadly we didn't get to ask him about seamus milne the legend which is so we'll, we'll have him back on oh we like, will we'll have a seamus episode just a seamus milne loving oh yeah <laughs> we're not really that sort of open to everyone a lot of us get that we get niche and there is going to be one where people are going to be like are we going to make any no we're just going to fondly reminisce <laughs> about how much we love seamus milne <laughs> it's just going to be all just a massive fucking circle jerk about yeah just earnest, like, that picture of him in shades like, the oh. enemy within and like <laughs> we're just talking about how great and rigorously researched it was and what a role it plays in our understanding of the secret services and we'll just just clap they'll be like clapping yeah. they'll be <laughs> it'll be, it'll be a, a festival of it really just yeah oh it's gonna be masturbatory all right but anyway <laughs> we've really wanted to have matt on the show for a while but we thought during the election would be a great time to do it and he very kindly ended up speaking to us for a lot longer than we originally planned it's, it's gonna be good. a bumper one yeah like, yeah it's we've gonna be a, a lot of shit with him and it's, it's good we have fun we laugh yeah. a lot we rip a lot of people it's what you want you know it's yeah. what you've all been sort of clamoring for you know it's good to sort of like get together and just laugh about how good the polls are and how fucking shit everyone is that's a lot of our angle and i think we know you're going to enjoy it i think you're really going to enjoy it yeah we've got one of the most i'd say one of the most respected political operators on the left which isn't saying much because nobody respects anyone on the left but (laughs) this is a guy who genuinely ask any fucking sneering right-wing piece of shit and they will probably admit that he was actually pretty good at his job yeah and, and actually um, pretty funny when he shut them down it's good and it reminds me of someone who's going to be brought up in a minute farage's fucked face that line yeah. he had about <laughs> matt being the perfect summary of that our little sort of clique on twitter isn't impenetrable and that if you've got the right opinions, you can just burst in on the scene and take it by storm. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what Matt's really. <laughs> if you've got good opinions, come on in. I didn't queue him up. <laughs> okay, let's queue him up. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Zarb cousin. Oh, uh, that's all right. All right, man. Hi, yeah. How's it going? Oh, not too bad. Right, we're all good. Great stuff. Sorry, I'm uh, a bit under the weather. <laughs> oh, no worries. <laughs> burning right. burn right. the candle with the boyfriend. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. How's it? How are you all? You all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just complain about the weather in different forms. Like, I'm really thirsty. Jack's boiling to death. Like, Tom's got this really good setup with a fan, apparently, that, like, we're all a bit envious of. It's I, helping. It's helping. I need a fan. <laughs> right. Should we just go for it? Yeah, let's just go for it. All right, so we've got Matt Zarb cousin here, Corbyn's former press spokesperson, at prolific fucking Twitter Fiend. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> the new king of left Twitter, Matt Zarb cousin, right here. Oh, that's very kind. As I once said, I'm I'm merely standing on the shoulders of Farage's fuck face. So. <laughs> <laughs> of all that went before me. Oh, that's that's his second 
like full endorsement on the show. Yeah. <laughs> that, was like, that was one of the very few first things like, I said I remember. You were like, FFF, he's, he's at us. He wants to talk a bit tonight. Like, he suggested a few things to talk about. Let's talk about him. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's amazing, isn't he? he is. He's going to love this. Like, we, we, need to expand the, yeah. we, got, like, we got a lot more listeners. Yeah. You want to give him the platform to talk about anime. He wants to come on and just <laughs> every opportunity just break in, you know. He want he wants it to be like so we're like, okay, so uh politics and he's like, Nope, anime. Um, <laughs> but as well as writing excellent tweets, Matt has written for The Guardian, The Independent. He's appeared on various other podcasts, the competition. In, in the context of our show, the Politics Home podcast, which we uh, regularly draw more listeners then. Oh, yeah, they won't like that. One of our other favourite listeners, Kevin Schofield. Oh, yeah, although I will say Matt's episode with the Politics Home podcast was actually their most popular one. So if, if we can uh, follow wow. their lead here. You appeared on the Spectator podcast the other day, making you probably the only person to get invited on and appear on the Spectator and Real Politic podcasts. <laughs> I got, I got, I got there, and they said, "Have you ever been to the Spectator office before?" And I said, "No, but it's exactly how I imagined it, and it is. It's like going back in time." <laughs> <laughs> Like the old style, like drinks cabinet in the corner. Brendan yeah. O'Neill slumped over like a cartoon <laughs> drunk. Just <laughs> bashing away at the typewriter. Like, Golden Dawn are a reputable political party, and anyone who says otherwise. Fraser Nelson in like full Admiralty uniform. Like Fraser Nelson, just like, oh, I have never heard of this white supremacy thing that you loony left extremists are going on about. That's actually why I got blocked by Fraser Nelson way back before all the leading lights of the right had blocked me. Long ago, <laughs> in my early tweeting days. But anyway, we've given you a bit of an idea of Matt's recent sort of restyling of himself as a very, very dependably pro-Corbyn voice in the press. But before that, he worked as Corbyn's press spokesperson. I believe you started in June 2016, didn't you, Matt? That's right, yeah. June until April this year, so about 10, 11 months. And, yeah, uh, just been... I went back to my old job, which was obviously... Um, I mean, against Victor's betting terminals, quite niche. Mm. But we got the we got the manifesto commitment in, in the Labour manifesto, two pound spin. That's the campaign um, for fairer gambling yeah, that you work for. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's essentially like a one man band. It's me and the guy that funds it. Obviously, it's something that's quite close to my heart because I was get addicted to gambling when I was younger. And uh, much easier life now. Uh, got a lot more time on my hands and just trying to support. Uh, <laughs> Support Jeremy from the <laughs> <laughs> And you've been supporting him like excellently, it has to be said. Like to have a voice. You and of course our idol, the big boy Bastani, have Bistano. just been going <laughs> hell for leather on every platform and it's delightful to see. I mean, it was always going to be difficult for Jeremy because there's not many left-wing outriders or voices that we can really draw on. I mean, to think that Danny Finkelstein is Tory peer and he's got a column in the Times I mean it's just ridiculous um, <laughs> yeah. the, the, you know these, there's guys in the commentariat who spin for the Conservatives on a daily basis like Ian Martin you know these guys it's just propaganda so I mean, yeah. obviously the, the left needs the equivalent doesn't it really Ian Martin who's so reactionary that he literally writes for a site called Reaction <laughs> <laughs> you've got like Labour writers like Oliver Cam nominal Labour members writing for Cap X 
Oh, Tim yeah. Montgomery's like hardline conservative site. Like it's just oh, <laughs> that's the thing. Like they could say all this will want to say on anything that's like too left wing in the press goes on about like oh you know it's propaganda. It's propagandizing the leader. All the cult things are brought up, but the right understand the necessity of propaganda, the importance oh, yeah. and the success of it. There's yeah. nothing wrong with still applying honesty and rigor to the situation and still being you know the propagandist when it comes to the that's why that's what we do <laughs> exactly. yeah, I mean, well like if you ever i wouldn't advise doing this but if you ever were, were to ever google the son jeremy corbyn in, in every single article that's been written certainly by harry cole he's described consistently as the hapless labor leader or the hapless jeremy corbyn every time it's like it's like this like brainwashing so people reading it are like oh he's hapless isn't it yeah because it's subliminally getting into their heads he's hapless Mm. because he said something that the son didn't like and then harry cole collapsed in a pool of tears and because of that (laughs) colossal gaffe corbyn is hapless yeah Exactly. Yeah. So, unless you don't, if you don't toe their line, I mean, but it's true, you know. Because I was asked, BuzzFeed said, "Oh, what do you think of the canary?" And I said, "Well, if there's space in the kind of media spectrum for the sun, then there's space for the canary." And Jim Morton sort of <laughs> laughed yeah. at that. But that's kind of true. It like, is. if the sun is coming at this from a very right-wing perspective and a very pro-conservative perspective, for obvious reasons, they're obviously very concerned about Leveson, and that's now been dropped. They're obviously owned by billionaires or a billionaire, you know, and they want to protect their interests. Everything should be looked at through that prism. But I found that with younger people, they're much more critical about what they read. There's much more critical thinking. You know, I find certainly with more younger people, people are very sceptical about what they're reading and where it's come from. So I think there is hope for the future. <laughs> mm, oh, God, yeah. I mean, like, stuff like The Canary, it gets a bad rap. And I think it gets a bad rap because they like to have this, of course, celebrate about the left-wing press. They found their site that they can routinely post screenshots from and go, you know, look what all these fucking, like, lunatics, these nutters, as, like, disgusting as that is to say, what they think about politics in the world, all of it being this conspiracy, all of it being, like, having these sort of different overtones about it. That's what they like to sort of take, take about, and they don't take the rest of what might have to take seriously. No, that's true. I do think it's, I don't know whether it's, um, yeah, it's difficult to say. I mean, I think that there, there, there does need to be either a counterbalance to the sun, or there needs to be kind of, I mean, as long as people know where it's coming from, it's a bit, it's a bit like with the Facebook advertising. It's people saying, oh, well, you know, it's a kind of secret election campaign because all these people are getting targeted on Facebook. Well, if you read something from, that's clearly from the Conservative Party, Unless you're a complete idiot, you're not going to take it at face value, are you? So mm. if, if anything, all it does is it, is it draws people in to politics and to kind of engaging more with politics, which can only be really a good thing. But if you're reading a newspaper and you think that that's objective and it's describing the Labour leader's hapless Jeremy Corbyn, then that's kind of worse than this direct Facebook advertising, I think. Mm. Well, something I think Kieran hit on, actually, is if you point out that the media is just overwhelmingly uh, biased against Jeremy Corbyn... I don't even like using the word biased because I feel there's such connotations to it of kind of tinfoil hat wearing, shouting on speaker's corner kind of... Mm. um, MSM kind of thing. Yeah, kind of. As Kieran said, it's like, I hate this word, I hate this as a label for people on the left, and I think Mm. it's the kind of language we need to kick out of politics. But they do almost make you try and feel like a lunatic if you basically try and call out how all the media seems to have this fairly uniform agenda that ranges from very slightly left of centre to drastically right of centre. And there's this kind of 
combined alienating effect of all of this, the people on the left, in that they just don't see their world reflected. And it does increasingly back people on the left who support Jeremy Corbyn into a kind of corner, give them a kind of bunker mentality, and make them constantly have their guard up. And so that it's a kind of othering of his supporters. That there, yeah. there's, there's been a very right. conscious attempt to make them feel like they don't have a place in sort of standard, mainstream, acceptable politics. The worst one for me is when you get compared to the far right, and mm. that's what Ian Dunn did. So just to make that a bit clearer, when Ian Dunn said that we were sexist towards journalists or whatever, Wank. and you know when people use the term Corbyn Easter as if it's some kind of homogenous demographic, these, yeah. these are just normal ordinary people from all walks of life. Obviously, you get good people and bad people everywhere you go, right? So as you say, that this is as you're completely right. It's about marginalising and stigmatising anyone who supports Jeremy Corbyn or the left to make it feel like it's not mainstream and it's unusual and it's not normal. Yeah, How- here we are, polling 38%. Yeah, hey. so we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but just on this sort of subject, how do you feel now that you're kind of in the commentariat and you're, um, I'm not really in the commentariat unless you count real politic and Twitter and my sporadically updated blog, but like, but I, I've got the sense that if you are a kind of, you know, regularly published, quite uh, extensively read journalist in Britain, then it is quite hard to kind of hold your head up high in all these situations if you do support Jeremy Corbyn. And overwhelmingly, the idea is that you're not a credible critical thinker if you support him. Have you been kind of getting this at all in in your new sort of unofficial role as a pro-Corbyn guy in the media? No, I mean, I think I've been quite fortunate in that a lot of the things I've said have sort of been relatively accurate you know i said that our poll rating would improve during the short campaign I said we'd have a very popular policies popular manifesto i said it would cut through more than normally does because we've got more engaged electorate all of these things seem to have been missed by the sort of mainstream commentary we don't really seem to understand the current political context as well as they think they do um they still sort of living in 97 some of them quite yeah. literally doing so with stephen fielding <laughs> <laughs> someone <laughs> added us like Sad. he wants to fuck 1997 <laughs> <laughs> but you're right you know i do use the word bias quite cautiously but it's more about their sense of priorities but when they do have so for example it's when it's about nuclear weapons okay look labor policy is to renew trident that's his manifesto there's so many issues in people's lives why is whether we're gonna nuclear bomb someone back why is that the thing that you're focusing on what? and it's because obviously that's where they thought they've got leverage over jeremy or that you know that's where he's weakest yeah they but... want to kind of say oh so you don't support trident but it's in the manifesto. What they want to kind of say is, this is absurd. This can't be the reality. But it is well, the it... reality. And all they're saying is just, look at this. This is... this is. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like, the Tories have attack lines and they have messages where, like, it'll even come out in the press, Theresa May tomorrow will look to shift the terrain back to, say, defence or something weaker on Corbyn where she's been bettered on social care. And the next day, every 
fucking paper they'll set the agenda for her. Why the fuck yeah, were the Guardian day. this, mor- yeah. like, was it this yeah. morning the or yesterday morning? With... They were running with not Corbyn's speech on foreign policy, but with the Tories' attack on Corbyn's speech on foreign policy as their front page headline. Yeah. Like fucking op-eds from Jonathan Friedland that fucking... I've said all I need to say on Jonathan Friedland in the past, but... Oh my, that his bones about, are brittle oh, like a bird. His bones are brittle like a bird. He weighs three stone. <laughs> He's made of milk. <laughs> All of these things. Tim Farron would love him. Yeah, Tim Farron would love him. Nick Clegg did. Like he's he, he even looks like a Lib Dem, like in the most distilled. It's the hair. His hair is the exact colour of that lurid orange that the Lib Dems go with. But he came out and said, "Oh, how much the Manchester bomber would have hated us more if we hadn't got rid of Gaddafi." Fucking I mean, saying shit like that is fucking disgusting. In a conversation with Seamus Milne, his head of strategy, it's clear Jeremy sees an article from a leading political columnist as the latest attack. Only the big negative today is Jonathan Friedland in The Guardian. Jonathan Friedland article in The Guardian. Utterly disgusting subliminal nastiness. Whole lot of it, you know. He's not in a good way at all, um, but he's kind of, he seems kind of obsessed with me, you know? The one thing I've learned over the past um, six months or so is how shallow, facile and ill-informed many of the supposedly well-informed major commentators are in our media. They shape a debate that is baseless and narrow. I mean, yeah. but the thing is, like, obviously, they're in a fortunate position, the Conservatives, where there's a lot of newspapers that will carry their attack messages that will set the agenda for them, as you say. But even on something like nuclear weapons, where Jeremy has actually said, you know, I wouldn't fire the first nuclear bomb, right? You know, in other words, he's not ruled out using it in retaliation, and that's how you maintain that it's a deterrent, right? Because mm. anyone nukes you, you can back. But then Fallon, right, managed to still fuck it up from there by saying, yeah, like a fucking big dog, I would send the first, <laughs> nu- I, I would send the first nuclear bomb. And then Russian said straight away, if Britain sent the first nuclear bomb, it would be wiped off the face of the earth. Essentially, you're a complete mug, mate. Shut up and sit down. Right? And, and, Thank you, Russia. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I'm sure every other, lots of other countries would agree. What a stupid thing to say that you would nuke someone first. How ridiculous. Yeah, it's not no, a deterrent no anymore. No, exactly. Yeah, no one picked up on this. No one really picked up on this. But this was an absolutely crass and embarrassing statement for someone to say, particularly that considering they are technically still defence secretary. I mean, mm. this is the standards they're held to. They're white, they're male, they're Oxbridge, public school boys, and that's it, that's fine. You know, that's right, you know. But they're qualified, Matt. Unlike (laughs) unlike Diane Abbott, a former Home Office civil servant and MP of 30 years, who is not qualified to be Home Secretary, like these people, they're great for the job, they've got at least one bow tie in their collection, they uh, went to Oxbridge and or Eton. They've stuck their dick in numerous dead pigs. These pe- these people are like, you know, the cream of the crop. And what they say about like Diane Abbott, it's crass. It's like, you know, their attack line was, she can't count. I mean, like, that's, that's yeah, sick. Yeah, As if like, they literally yeah, just yeah. have that's one fucking government minister just slaving over the figures. Like, no fucking <laughs> civil servants helping them. They're just sitting there with a calculator in, like, into the dead of night with just, like, candles surrounding her. Just hammering <laughs> away at... No, you're actually, right, and, and 
this conception of politics as if it's some kind of technocratic managerialist process where the, the minister themselves does everything and does all the legwork and fixes the printer and all that stuff. You know, really, that's a very dangerous way of looking at politics in the sense that you should be electing people on the basis of their values, their priorities and what they say they're going to do and where they are politically and who they're standing up for. Not because you think that they're like some kind of manager or CEO. All that does is help the right. If people think like that, if people think politics is about that, it's not about choices, but it's about managerialism, then you know, end up invariably with someone more right-wing doing the job. Do you think... Someone more dangerous. Absolutely right. Do you think that this has kind of contributed to Labour's recent surge in the polls, which has been very promising? Two polls have come out within two days showing Labour at 38%, which in the two polls is either five or six points below the Tories. So it's gone from, uh, it was a gap of 20-something, like a couple of weeks ago, to yeah. five or six points. During the local elections, I did at LBC, and I said that the Tories' biggest strength is the public's perception of Theresa May's competence, and obviously perception being the key word, because the Tory brand is really still very toxic in the north of England and in lots of parts of the country. And Theresa May is very popular because you perceive her as being this kind of very calm, safe pair of hands. Kind uh, of above party politics, I think. Above party politics, yeah, yeah. And that is obviously slowly slipping away now. If you look yeah. at the approval ratings of both leaders, Jeremy's is going up, May's is going down. And that's going to drag the Conservatives down because the Conservative Party is not actually, doesn't perform particularly well as a party. It's Theresa May that's giving them the boost. So the more the public sees of her, the longer this campaign goes on for, the more likely it's Labour will win. And I'm yeah. amazed that people didn't see that, because you can't did you, have... Did you say the more likely sorry. Labour will win? Sorry, because it cut yeah, out. The, sorry, yeah, the more likely Labour will win, the, closer, the, the more they'll close the gap. And I can't believe no one in the commentary picked this up, because you can't have someone fronting your campaign, because they need her to front the campaign, because the Tory brand is toxic. Theresa yeah. May and her team, it says. Theresa May and her team, exactly. And, and, then, and then hide her away. They're trying to wheel her out a little bit, but the more they wheel her out, the more people think, bloody hell, she's a bit useless. It's interesting they're doing a very overtly presidential campaign, but trying to play down the role of the president in this scenario. Yeah. It's <laughs> just like, oh, she's your prime minister, keep this going, like, let's get out of the way. You know, Not why debate. have her on a debate when she's, she's going to win anyway? She's the prime minister, she doesn't need to answer to you, she's doing this, she's doing that. It's really like, the more you show of her, they understand that she is in herself a really toxic character when you get to know her. She mm. has that image, but the second she opens her mouth, or the second she like you know, stumbles over a speech, or just like can't do like a proper human smile at a child, <laughs> and like, the longer she's in the public eye, she just looks more of this, you know, what she is, this sort of doddery joke of a woman who's like been shuffled in from nowhere essentially because the other woman was possibly the most toxic mp in all of the conservative party in electoral terms <laughs> i mean even your hard right like peter hitchens peter oborn they wouldn't want to hear fucking andrea led some lecture in them oh yeah. god no they would switch off they'd look to sharpen the knives and get someone else in as you know they'll probably do to Theresa may but Without that, the longer they have this campaign, the longer they're finding they have to play the campaign in some way. And the longer they do that, the worse it's going to get. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm in no way condoning sort of name calling in politics or anything like that. But <laughs> if she, if she was, if she was the, we uh, are. <laughs> that is exactly <laughs> what we stand for. <laughs> if she was the Labour leader, you know, in the same way they've called Jeremy the geography teacher, they would have called Theresa May the dinner lady. You know, she's just mm. like one of them strict dinner ladies, isn't she? She's 
nothing really about her. It's just like exists. She's just there, and like nothing to say. That's particularly interesting. Just you know, just looks a bit authoritative, but isn't really. Because once mm. you dig a little bit deeper, you realise there's not much substance to her whatsoever. And she tried to play the leadership card after Manchester, and it really backfired spectacularly. Well, I think yeah, we've all been shown real leadership over that. If you come to the table, try to talk your leadership up in the wake of a terrorist attack, then you better come with the record to back it up. And they, and they yeah. haven't got it. And they haven't got it. And they've cut police numbers. And there was quite a good interview, actually, James cleverly on Five Live. And they've obviously wheeled him out because he's ex-army, you know, just to try and attack Jeremy on that basis. But, you know, it's completely ambushed by questions about police numbers. They weren't expecting criticism of the record. And I think that kind of sums up the campaign, really. Yeah, um, I think you can see a lot with her sort of statesman-esque style. Mm. In a attack like this, the response from the Prime Minister would be calm and authoritative. But in the days following it, you've had Amber Rudd going, oh, no, the people are still out there. Putting the critical level up or, like, allowing the critical level to be moved to that level, putting the troops on the streets... I think everyone's kind of seen that she, if anything, she put us more in a state of panic than brought calm to the situation and it showed strong and stable leadership whatsoever. And also how Corbyn came out, and of course he was accused of politicising the tragedy, but anybody with a half a fucking brain knows that an attack like this is innately political. Yeah. So when you're an actual adult, you can discount that argument entirely. He came out and he made a nuanced speech about foreign policy, saying stuff that I think was really really necessary in, in yeah. our discourse because somebody powerful and influential like the leader of the opposition just needs to come out and make the basic point that the war on terror isn't working that our military interventions do not provide the sole impetus for these attacks but they certainly don't do as much to prevent them as mm. a lot of more hawkish people would make out and so I, I and i think he made a really nuanced and important contribution to the debate and then instantly theresa may and the concern Conservatives, whilst saying he was politicising the tragedy, started instantly kind of um, just saying, oh, he's a threat to national security, he's a terrorist sympathiser, distorting... the IRA, all that. Yeah, yeah distorting yeah, the things he said. Again, yeah. The amount of IRA stories at the moment is yeah. just insane. Uh, like, I don't know how just many... Just regurgitating it from when he first took up the leadership as well. Just yeah. yeah, it's the same lines over and over again. But I think what we're seeing now is exciting as is seen by the poll numbers, as seen by the youth of responses, is this shit isn't cutting through anymore. Everyone's going, oh, no, you can't tell me that this is because he's a terrorist who wants to destroy the country or wants to, like, bring ISIS to the negotiation table. Everyone's like, we completely agree. We're not going to be sold on this again. What's very interesting is how I think a lot of the stuff's been priced in already, but I think what's happened is the country's almost been over in a sense. There's too much fear-based campaigning, and it happened as well in the referendum with the Remain campaign. It was, you know, everything's going to go to shit if you vote Leave, and people voted Leave, and the world kept turning, and I think if people were willing to take the chance to vote Leave, then there's nothing to say that they won't take the chance to vote Jeremy, and in fact, the conversations I've had with people, a lot of them do see him as an anti-establishment figure, they see through the press hostility, and they, they understand that, you know, these are people trying to protect their interests. And I think he has positioned himself very well. I mean, just who he is, obviously, but he's incidentally positioned himself very well. 
to pick mm. up that anti-establishment league vote. I mean, I think if we had a leader who did accept the result of the referendum, obviously we wouldn't be in that position. So, yeah, um, I, I you know, I, I, I think there's a lot there's a lot to be said for how they've handled the last year, and it's been very, you know, very difficult circumstances. As you say, because, of course, the Crosby tactics aren't working now. People just want an engagement of debate. But the problem is they're not going to come to the table. They've ruled it out from the beginning, and they, they still don't want it. And that's where Corbyn's openness is just really helping that. And the refusal to properly debate is completely, I think, damaged them in some aspects as well. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I think so. They called the election, and then now they're saying things like, "Oh, Labour is just saying this stuff to win votes." And like, well, no shit. And, uh, <laughs> and and I think a lot of people, a lot of British people, will actually feel like they've been very arrogant in a way mm. that they've assumed that this to be a foregone conclusion. Yeah, they thought it was all wrapped they up. Haven't, yeah, they haven't. What's that sneak into number ten line? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just that just doesn't wash. I mean, so. They've not fully costed the manifesto. They've given... They've fully costed, that people. was. Sorry, it's cracking up. <laughs> they've not fully costed the manifesto. They've not given anyone, if you read the manifesto, really a positive reason to vote for the Conservative Party. And all their messaging is, vote for us because otherwise it'd be Corbyn. And that just isn't enough. You can't win a... Yeah. Well, I've not seen it. They might, but, you know, I think they're not doing a great job of it. <laughs> I, I think mm. they've actually put the idea that Corbyn could win and that this is a possibility in people's heads, because I think a lot of the Well, that was their early thing, wasn't it? That was yeah. exactly their early message, and it was really I... weird. Because everyone was like, why are they, every campaign video going, he could win, you know, the polls <laughs> might not say it, but he could, and the polls go up, mm-hmm. and they're like, no, 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 yeah, you could, but please vote for us still. Like, they've got 26 points each. Well, like, their manifesto read like, this is what we're doing in the next government, okay? This is good, yeah. but yeah. It, we're doing it, okay? This is it, okay? This is, we're seeing it now. We're not making any promises. This is what's happening. This is just, a, you know, one page over the book. But now, all of a sudden, people are going, we don't want that to happen. That sounds yeah. awful. That sounds oh, horrible. Well, I don't we, like we that. We have another option to this. Because for two years, the whole idea on the centre, the centre-left and the right has been, even if you do like Corbyn and his policies, like, well, he's not going to get elected, is he? This is just not going to happen. But now the Tories are saying, actually, <laughs> there's, a, there's a high chance this man can be our next prime minister. So loads of people who do like what Corbyn's about, but have just been told that he's not a viable candidate for two years, are like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm like, we for now, exactly, yeah. <laughs> We're sort of dishonest liberals are in the middle, still pretending that if everything was perfect, they'd vote like Corbyn. They're going, oh, but no, he will lose. Honestly, he's not going to get 30. Yeah, he's not going to get 30. I've spoken to my mates. Oh, yeah, my none of them the believe the polls now. Yeah. But the Liberals like, are all, like, putting on their tin hats, being like, no, well, the polls lie. It's the MSM media <laughs> bias. Uh, <laughs> they won't admit that this really isn't the politics they stand for because they're much closer to the other side than they think. And when they vote Conservative on June the 8th, which they will, they will, <laughs> they will still think, unless Corbyn goes or wins, that they had to do it out of protest because it was their noble duty. Matt, from your experiences with the lobby, and we did an interview that I might try and get published at some point, but we talked about how there's this kind of cultural difference that means that they just can't appreciate Corbyn and the left in general. They don't see it as kind of credible 
politics. And so it's kind of a bit of a culture shock. And I think you said that certain people in the lobby almost kind of made you feel like an imposter, Mm. like somebody with your politics shouldn't have been the press officer of the leader of the opposition and that that shouldn't have been the leader of the opposition. I don't think they thought I had those politics because I was relatively you, competent. Because you job. were good at your job. Like, he's just saying what Corbyn says. He can't yeah. actually <laughs> think this stuff. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> so, that was part of it. And they were also very surprised. People on the right of the party were very surprised that I started tweeting what I did and uh, started putting on a apply pressure saying, oh, yeah. why don't you be a grown-up because I'll shut up. So, I think that's true. I mean, when Nick Robinson tweeted after Jeremy won the second leadership contest, oh, now we've got to take him seriously as the leader of the opposition. I mean, what were you doing before, mate? It's, it, you know, this is a very serious position, and he is the leader, democratically elected twice, and this is the direction for the Labour Party in. As it happens, our manifesto is very popular. I mean, find me a Labour MP who will go on the record and say that they disagree with anything in that manifesto. And you won't be able to find me one. Not on the record. They'll slag it off, off the record on Labour source basis. But, you know, that is the Labour Party, the Labour Party should be now. Yeah. And I don't think anyone can really disagree with that. It's become a kind of article of faith, I think, now. A lot, a lot of Labour members really like the manifesto. Yeah, it's just so positive. It could not be more of a contrast to the Tories' grim, fucking dystopian, miserable vision. Or a kind of lack of vision. Like, it's, again, yeah. it's, just, it's classic neoliberalism rather than the decisive break with neoliberalism, as Jason Cowley, the fucking idiot, said. <laughs> uh, it's just like, uh, yeah, I fucking hate you, Jason Cowley. You, fuck, <laughs> you fucking syphilitic toff. I fucking despise you, you cunt. You fucking cunt. And what, what was he doing today? Oh, yeah, so it's Tim Shipman from The Times was racist and Stephen Bush disagreed with him and then jason cowley weighed in on the side of fucking shippers like oh, what <laughs> really cunt. yeah 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 it yeah. comes out like in the middle of the argument he tweets not my favorite thing about the sunday times is shippers unbound <laughs> like, oh go fuck yourself <laughs> oh, mate stephen bush oh, sacked from a new statesman for not being a fucking reprehensible piece of dirt <laughs> leaving them with no one <laughs> oh, wait no no I have a friend at the New Statesman. He's he's fine. He's the only good one. <laughs> he liked our episode on it, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Sorry, can I just quickly say that I know Stephen Bush and he's exceptional and no one knows what his politics are. And that's a real credit to him, really. I mean, unless you actually do a bit of digging around and find out, you know, where he was coming from politically. No one really knows what his politics are because he doesn't feel the need to flaunt them on Twitter and get involved in arguments about no one really gives a shit what your opinion is, right? Uh, you know... I'm talking to the commentary in general. They don't care about what your politics are. Fine, provide an analysis. Fine, provide a bit of insight. But no one really cares whether you're a fucking social liberal or not. You know, at the end of the day, Stephen's a good journalist, not because of his politics, but because he is trusted by people and he is very fair. And I think yeah. there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, where there's good behaviour, I believe it should be rewarded. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think he is. I mean, he's almost like he's a pretty much universally liked writer all across the left. I've barely seen someone say a bad word about him. And that's because his quality really does stand alone. And I mean, I stand alone in that fucking magazine. 
And there's hardly anybody like that in the British press who's somebody coming from a kind of centre-left school of politics who, if you are on the radical left, you can actually read and be like, okay, yeah, no, I get this. That's a fact that's true. That's a reasonable piece of analysis (laughs) that I can't just outright dispute. And Stephen Bush is like that. He actually writes, like, really quite decent stuff. I, I read him pretty regularly. And while my views have gradually grown more and more hostile to the new statesman... I've continued. Yeah, just just a little bit. You know, incidentally, Stephen was the only member of the commentariat, the only one who predicted that Jeremy would win in 2015. And do you know how he predicted it? Because he was speaking to lots of Labour members all across the country. Whereas you had people like, I won't name names, but there are certain members of the commentariat who thought Liz Kendall would win. (laughs) But why? Why did they think Liz Kendall would win? For spurious reasons, like she was a newcomer and gut feeling and she did a good interview with andrew neil once (laughs) she's aligned to my personal politics and reasons like that you know so Stephen approaches this from a very objective basis and yeah i I do really respect him actually to be fair we're on the point of like um the break with neoliberalism yeah the tories um, vision of the future it's not much of a break with neoliberalism it's just like again little incremental tinkering but in the wrong direction. But not even it's that. A... It's like, they're offering, oh, it's all about, like, now they've shifted back onto Brexit, which is, I think, the only thing they think they have political capital on because they've got a huge right-wing leave vote coming behind them. Mm. They've moved it back onto it, and their vision is, we don't know. It's, we've got to negotiate a deal. We don't know what that deal is. Prepare to say no deal. We're not showing our hand. But basically, it's like, fuck no. But... Do you want it to be fuck knows and with him or, you know, <laughs> fuck knows and, you know, we might get us out of this? I think she wanted to call the election when the Article 50 bill was going through. I think if Labour didn't back a three-line whip on Article 50 and if it in any way tried to frustrate Article 50 or if we were going to, like we could have done if it was a different leader, voted against it or tried to vote against it or tried to block it in any way... She would have called the election then. Well, that was kind of her pretext for the election, wasn't it? Oh, I'm getting all this opposition from my enemies. So I need to have this election to secure my mandate. That might be too late. It was two months too late. And I think it's very good that they didn't vote against Article 50 because, I mean, it's uh, what the recent polling showed something like 22% of people, a minority of Remain voters, basically support this hard Remain strategy. Most people in the country have basically accepted the referendum result. And that's the same when I've been, like, talking to mates who aren't, like, really into politics. They're just like, yeah, let's just get on with it. Like, let's try and make the best of this. Because, you know, if people aren't fucking wonks, there's a limit to how much they can have some debate over and over and over and over and over again until there's no other components to our politics. Yeah, and it's awful. Like, that election would have happened by now. That would have been called on March 29th or whenever it was, and we probably would be into a new government with a, like, 170-seat majority, a rump party of Labour MPs. Half the moderates would have gone and half of everyone else. Yeah, I'd still be be fucking buzzing from Picking through the fucking ashes. Like, (laughs) Owen Smith obliterated, like, making it even sadder speech than Ed Miliband did. (laughs) (laughs) Just turning up, like, I can imagine it's like a column done. It's like, trying to make that one last statesman-like speech, like fucking Kinnock on the steps of Walworth Road, having it up till the end, and then, like, some, like, fucking lizard cunt takes over. Like, like Ben Bradshaw, if he somehow kept Exeter, like, it takes over and something like that. The worst thing about Owen, right, would have been, the fact, obviously, he would have tried to block Article 50, vote against it. There would have been a snap election then, I reckon. He would have lost 
terribly. And there's no way of polling what we're polling now. And then the left would have still been blamed because he had, remember, <laughs> quote unquote, left politics. So mm. then it, it would have been... We tried a better guy with your politics. Let's get rid yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's in the worst of all worlds. <laughs> yeah, that would have been miserable. And people are saying, oh, but the policies in the manifesto now, they're not that different to what Owen Smith was offering oh, God, last yeah. year. It's like, well, no, they are more radical than that. And, and I mean, that's what Owen Smith was offering in a leadership contest against Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> like... Smithism, like, the only ideology to be born completely out of failure. <laughs> Like, you're getting Smithists and Smithites in the media and, like, some of the... Nandyites. And Nandyites. <laughs> but the Smithites are the saddest because, like, they lost badly. And, like, they're still going, you know what? I would have backed him. I think he was right. And I think he was going to win votes. How the high many point people... being ice cream in the pan, easily. Just... Oh, in Liverpool, most beautifully. <laughs> I love that he posted the picture of himself at the Owen Smith rally in Liverpool, like, with the ice cream. And there's just some woman behind him in a Corbyn t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, honestly, history will shine upon that campaign. I can't wait until we can really step back enough and piece it all together for, like, future generations to enjoy. You had a fun coup, didn't you, Matt? What were your experiences of the coup in the leadership contest? So there were a minimum of one possibly two, sometimes three resignations every day for about a month. And each of them were resigning, writing a letter, putting it on Twitter, press releasing it, going up on broadcast. And then they'd have a little something in their back pocket they would brief to the press or someone. And then there would just be a complete avalanche of negative stories and coverage. Honestly, I don't know how, you know, I mean, considering where Jeremy is now, despite all that, it's pretty... Yeah. Phenomenal, yeah. really. Yeah, absolutely. You had um, 80 yeah. to 100 calls you had to field a day? Pretty much. Obvi I mean, obviously, like, when one of them has a story, sometimes they go to three or four journalists, and so, you know, sometimes there's multiple calls on each story. And if you've got five, six, seven stories a day, then, yeah, it, it, you get, you're getting into kind of three figures. So, it, yeah, it was a bloody nightmare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Having to bat off stories like Conor McGinn says Corbyn's going to call his dad on him that was like the daily sport that was just getting so silly by then like that sort of headline about oh yeah corbyn threatened to like report me to my dad says this like oh. fast sweaty knobhead like so he's my he is technically the MP of my parents so i, I do have a lot of hatred for him he's on, like, a, a fucking... genuine visceral level He's a fucking informant for the Northern Irish police. The, the very the, worst police. Basically, there was this thing that happened uh, in Parliament where Corbyn paid tribute to the life of a Northern Irish cop who'd been killed. And then it turned out that the cop was still alive. So all the, <laughs> all the press like started going for Corbyn. And obviously cops, being a bunch of fucking cunts, like got all self-righteous and were like, it's outrageous that Jeremy Corbyn, spelling his name wrong, was saying nice things about this guy who he thought was dead. But Did he like, <laughs> die later as well or something? I, I, I think I'm that was not... the, the sort of the sad twist at all the end of that. I don't know, but the Northern Irish police on their Twitter account were basically like, we have good relationships with lots of people in Labour. Conor McGinn, Tom Blenkinsop, John <laughs> Woodcock, or something like, uh, it might have been Graham Jones or like one of those fucking, fucking you know hell. that sort of like little <laughs> sect of just like utterly fucking brainless cunts in the PLP. The brave police boys. Yeah, who just all love cops, they all love nukes, they all love military intervention. They all fucking hate Corbyn and they love saying it. <laughs> 
They're all the real brave boys of the press. Oh, they're great, aren't they? <laughs> R.I.P. Michael Duggar's political career. <laughs> and R.I.P. Tom Watson's, if it's not too early to say. <laughs> Again, I'm still, as I said from the outset, my ideal election is like a huge 20 point swing to Labour nationally, and then a 15 point swing against Tom Watson personally. <laughs> Because he's like, there's only one Conservative MP, and it's the MP for West Bromwich East, and then we take him next time around. (laughs) I'm hearing that what Matt is saying here inside his head is Tom Watson, as a Labour candidate, should win his seat, and that would be very good if he does. Am I right, Matt? That's the line. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, we want as many we want we want as many uh, we want as many Labour MPs as possible, don't we? Except of course John Woodcock because he wouldn't support <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn being Prime Minister. So you know, if you're in Barrow and so you're thinking, all oh, right, do I want a Conservative government or do I want a Labour government? You can either vote for a Conservative government or you can vote for someone who wouldn't support a Labour government. So, <laughs> so, 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 I mean, I don't know exactly what his game is, apart from he wants to be a dedicated, committed constituency MP, but uh, I just find it astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing behaviour. And I um, think he just wants his flat in to stay close to Fleet Street. Close to those spectator offices. <laughs> <laughs> but they are given way too much airtime and column inches. Yeah. As no mark backbenchers, which is what they are. When Jeremy and John were speaking out against Blair and speaking out against New Labour, they weren't given a page lead in you know, the Evening Standard to do it, or they weren't given airtime on Sky News to articulate their opposition to the Iraq war. The fact that they're straight up there on the broadcast, and because it's an appetite yeah, yeah. for it, it's a, a much more of an appetite for that kind of dissidence than there was when it was New Labour. And like I was saying, it's that kind of culture, isn't it, where they have the long-standing professional links with the MPs from the right of the party. But mm. more than that, they share a kind of political mentality. Yeah, and I think they've enjoyed bringing and introducing the idea of the opposition within the opposition part of the you know tableau of government. You have the government party, you have the opposition party, and then everyone who hates the leader of the opposition party. It's and just like, ridiculous. They get introduced like, in the press countless times because of that. They'll have on a member of the shadow cabinet and some random fucking no-mark backbencher who's, who's literally... like, yeah, the policy is shit. Yeah, who does, is on there because they hate Corbyn. I think an interesting thing that they're doing, actually, which, as a media strategist, Matt might have some thoughts on, is that a couple of days ago you had Alan Johnson and Charles Clark, two Blairite MPs, well, former MPs, neither of whom are in Parliament now, going on TV on the same day, I think basically at the same time. One was on uh, Newsnight, the other was on the Daily Politics or This Week or something, and they were both saying stuff like, Corbyn is wrong on foreign policy, Corbyn doesn't have leadership material. I actually sneakingly admire Theresa May. Alan Johnson defended the Tories' unpopular dementia tax, which is so unpopular that the Daily Mail is literally calling it the dementia tax, which is (laughs) a propaganda line by the Labour Party. So it's almost like they're sending out these fucking old Blairite fossils so the the current crop can keep their hands relatively clean. Yeah, I think that's more than likely. I mean, you've got Mandelson doing the same, and Tony Blair as well. Although he's stepped back now. I think they've realised he was very unpopular, so he's went to the Walker, but he's not done anything for weeks. What was that, Kieran? Blair, he hasn't done anything for weeks. No, what you said before that, it sounded like went to 
like go. Oh yeah, he's went to the uh, <laughs> uh, the New York. He's gone to Menorca. He uh, went to the New Yorker. He did like a whole profile in the New Yorker about recapturing oh. the center. And it's pathetic, isn't it? Recapturing the center. It just oh, it, yeah. just be on the left. For fu- yeah. It's the fucking the center's done, mate. Like, oh my god, I get I get so sick of these fucking pragmatists who just want to deny political reality. It doesn't work. That's the thing. Like, really... Everyone knows that now. They're exactly right. And they really do overestimate their own popularity and cut through with the public. I mean, these people were government ministers about 10 years ago. No one even knows who they are. All they're doing, really, is spinning for the Conservatives. If you attack Labour at this stage, the general election campaign, you're doing a disservice to people who need a Labour government, as they always say. So, shut up. <laughs> I saw some awful ones from that like, that saddest of characters. I think you know, you know uh, Stephen Beasley, big fat Scottish guy. You know his alt account, that really racist alt account. He definitely runs. <laughs> that Johnny Green retweeted before. It said something like Charles Clark being on Newsnight reminds me of what a Premier League front bench we used to have. It's just like when you remind people of Charles Clark. They'll be like, oh shit, do you mean the Home Secretary who was sacked after like, less than two years for like that huge prison numbers fuck up? It's like Charles it's like Clark, the... is that Noddy's mate? I don't know how many Noddy fans like... there are out there. But... <laughs> he was laughed out of office. He was like the biggest joke in the country for like all of 2005. They live in this fantasy world. like Scottish Blairites. They're about fucking <laughs> fiddling while home is burning. Going like, oh, you know, yeah, you know, Blair's fucking great. As like pie sinks behind freedom for the Highlands on like 5%. Well, if the right hadn't fucked us in Scotland, then who knows where we'd be polling in this election who knows what would be possible the colossal failure of scottish labor is just stunning and they've learned no lessons as well if you look at the candidates they're putting up there's a few good ones like ria wolfson laura oh this is awful i've forgotten laura's surname but but she's great but at the same time there's people like fucking blair mcdougall who are just the most <laughs> abject he's even called blair just the most <laughs> abject fucking blairite freaks who are just just bear no relation to to like any kind of human being you'd ever meet because they're just shit posting on like the progress online fucking comment section. They're so sad. Can we make the artwork of this episode? Kia Dugdale celebrating in the F1. The, the go kart. <laughs> yeah, send me the picture. Oh my god, it's so funny. Did you see the tiny Hulk hands? I didn't. Kezia no. Dugdale's tiny Hulk hands. It was she had like you know like oh, god, those yeah. Hulk hands. Her and like I think her shadow chancellor were like LSO one, yeah. Of, sat either side of this frozen ice block of a pound and they both had like Hulk hands on. Like like they were gonna smash it and it like the I thought you said so Hulk funny. hands for a second. I thought she was like <laughs> dressed up as a pirate or something. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I really wanna briefly touch on your reputation as just the boy on Twitter. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. we mentioned earlier on, we mentioned Michael Duggar uh, yeah. a little bit. And you've had a few uh, <laughs> wranglings with Michael Duggar where you've just completely, what was it? You've told him to pipe down and salting the slugs where necessary. Let's put it like that. Because he was briefing against the leadership a lot. So he, I reckon he still he is. Get well yeah, he, he, was, he was doing it on the record. What really annoys me about these people more than anything, and there are a few of them, they've never really achieved anything in their political careers and they've got a record of failure certainly in the recent past you know 
Michael Duggar ran Andy Burnham's leadership campaign. He ran Ed Miliband's <laughs> general election campaign. You know, he, this guy is like clueless, yeah. And yet he somehow has this reputation as being this kind of political whiz and credibility that really has never earned at all. Yet they're the first to criticise our operation and cast versions on what we're trying to do brief against us, undermine us, and, you know, I'm not going to take that shit from him, because he's, at the end yeah, of the day, you know, yeah, who, who, yeah. who the fuck are you? Like, who are mm. you? No one knows who you are. You've not done anything, really. And now you fucking run away from it all, because you can't handle it. So, cheerio. I, I will say, Duggar's name is on everyone's lips at the offices of New Statesman. <laughs> I got this great <laughs> quote the other day. <laughs> they come from that school of McTurnan politics, where their careers just constant <laughs> failures. And then they think they have a right to criticise. What you've sort of brought quite refreshingly, Matt, is this idea that you can say in a big sort of space to a lot of people that these people are fucking nothing. Yeah. Like, I think you, when you have so many like, media types, like, you know, Michael Duger MP, Labour MP Michael Duger, on everything, 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 Labour source, senior Labour source, etc. However they spin it, senior. people think, oh, these are authoritative positions. Yeah, but exactly. calling it out and just going, you know, this guy's fucking joke. Yes. He's no more legitimate than the man on the fucking street and the fucking half is educated. He's an idiot. And I think a lot of the success you've had in, like, tearing people down has been highlighting that they're just preposterous individuals. Yeah, they really are. What was really bad, when I first joined, I was working with a guy called Kevin Sloke, and he, he was fantastic, actually, and he was the then head of media, and then he went off to work for Marvin Rees in Bristol. But he was saying to me, and he's absolutely right, what the BBC were doing in the, in the early days and they were doing it a little bit, actually, when I joined, but they were doing it much more in the early days as they were getting Blairites and people on the right of the party up on their programmes. And they were putting them up on Question Time and Daily Politics and all this. These people are not relevant. And they would criticise Jeremy on the programmes. And these people really are not relevant, if they're going to be critical of the leadership, to where the, the Labour Party is heading. So, big challenge in the early days, obviously, getting the BBC to accept that Jeremy is the leader of the Labour Party, and this is what we're doing now, this is the direction we're taking. So, you know, bringing those voices up, obviously, it takes a bit of time, but it's much better than it was. But I think it gives people a very negative first impression. If you've got Labour MPs criticising the leader, it makes it seem illegitimate, but it's obviously not. A lot of it was on the competency issue. Yeah. Like, that was what they'd always go for and think, oh, if they're talking about their boss and they're like, it's not just politics, he's fucking useless. That sticks. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Do you mind if I call it a day there? Sorry, guys. Oh, no, no problem, man. No, that's fine. You've talked for, like, longer than we thought anyway. Just, yeah, just, just quite a bit longer. Well, so, yeah. Like, thanks so much for joining us anyway, Matt. It's been a pleasure, Matt. Thank yeah, you. it's like, been so good. good. Thank you very it's much. Been, thanks for having it's me. been great. Continue doing your thing. Keep yes. doing the good work. Keep more slug salty on tweets. Twitter, please. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank. Please. No problem. <laughs> using the word slug as well. That's another key thing. The word slug <laughs> is gaining prominence. You had James yeah. Bloodworth. Uh, we've already talked about this on the show. But... Bloodworth and Lewis and all of them. Like the world yeah. knows the slug word now. Yeah. They know who <laughs> it means. You've got an increasing amount of just utter toads aware that they might one day be called an utter toad. And it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Like, it just seemed like, oh, I got called a slug by Zarb Cousin the other day. I don't know how to show my face in public again. But People the put it in their bio is... now. <laughs> <laughs> They're so fucking thin-skinned. Andrew Spooner has put it in his bio. This is fucking pathetic. So, Matt, I guess I have one more thing to say to you, and that is all the best. All the best. All the best, lads. <laughs> all the best. All the best. All the best, Skipper. 
All the best to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. That should be, that should be a Cheers, man. That was superb. Skip okay, guys. Okay, so that was our interview with Matt Zarb Cousin. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn's former press spokesperson and now a pro-Labour, pro-Corbyn commentator for Guardian, The Independent. The long um, Who's our man in the... And I think that was a great interview. I think we got a lot out of that. I um, think everyone else we... would have got a lot out of that as well. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I wish the quality was a bit better, but... You know, what can you do? He's now yeah. currently preparing himself for a... Was it a Sky interview tomorrow? He's going on Sky. Yeah, let's yeah, go down so on Monday, he's... so it'll probably be later today. Fair play. Or exactly. Tonight, or who knows whenever we upload this, or that Monday, if you'll listen to this a few days after. But you yeah. will have seen it. We will have shared it. He's probably kicked someone's head in. Verbally, of <laughs> course. I, yeah, I think he's going to be in the spin room for the Sky leaders. Not debates, but interviews. Mm. Um, Pulling up so... Michael Fallon's oh, pants. Nice, nice. Yes. Swilling him, kicking <laughs> the shit think... out of anyone in the back room. Again, Do you think verbally. Fallon will get just heroically seen off for a third time this election? Because Thornbury... Hope. Can the man fucking, take it? Thornbury beat the shit out of him on air that time. And then yesterday, the day before, Kristen Guru Murphy on Sky News just ripped his fucking bollocks off. Oh, did you see Corbyn put it out on his account? Oh, did he? Yeah, he put it out <laughs> on his account just going pretty much words to the effect of, yeah, watch him get seen off. Like, it's bad. <laughs> You're just like, oh, thanks, I will. I'll watch this again. He's yeah. like, he thinks he's talking about my words. He's talking about Boris Johnson. Look at this cunt. And, like, everyone's <laughs> just falling about again. Like, yeah. it has to be said, whoever is running that Twitter account, whoever's been putting out the messaging apart from it being JC himself overseeing it, is just crushing. Like, Do it's... we need to uh, possibly shout out the boy James Schneider at this point? And I don't know if he's personally running the account. The influence he's had on the election and Andrew Murray and yeah. all the great staff. And Andrew Fisher comp- and the Andrew... fucking manifesto, yeah. man. Is there an Andrew Murray and Andrew Fisher? Yeah, and Andrew Murray is the bloke who the entire British media are having a collective panic attack about because if i get panic attacks guys like that might be ableist language but i'm attacking myself because he used to be a communist well cleared up <laughs> there's murray and there's fisher right because i've been saying murray a lot and i don't know if i've just confused him with Andy. no he's no, real. Andrew murray is, he's real he's running the campaign with the boy seamus yeah i thought so i just had a weird sort of panic then because i'd forgot <laughs> about fisher fish is the policy don and Murray is the campaigning Don, who's on secondment from Unite. Okay, well, that's brainwave over. That's fine. They're both fantastic. The staff have been incredible. That whole staff team is incredible, and I think that's been shown in the campaign. Yeah, I think the staff have really stepped up to the plate. Certain MPs have really stepped up to the plate. Yeah. Like, I think we keep almost shouting out Barry Gardner, and it never happens. So, Barry, like, yeah. love your work. All the fucking I, best. I was totally under the impression he voted for the Iraq war, and I found out recently he voted against it. So I like him, like, way more now. Like, Barry Gardner is rad. Yeah, Barry Gardner is superb, and I'm glad he stepped up. He voted against for Libya intervention as well, along Mm, with uh, Corbyn and McDonnell, and a sad amount of MPs. He was one of the intake in 1997, wasn't he? He's obviously one of the Labour MPs that are just more willing to work with the direction the party's going. He accepts the democratic will of the membership. He wants to make this work. Kudos to that, you know? Yeah, it isn't the media thing of, like, oh, Corbyn had to pick anyone so he's lashed any old cunt that doesn't hate him in. You're seeing now, especially when they're being strategically placed in the election campaign, what you they have and why they were picked for the role they're in and why he's so good for it 
because he's yeah. got solid international credentials. Mm. You, you know, he, yeah, exactly. And so when he says we're not going to sell weapons to countries that abuse their people's human rights and other people's human rights, it's believable. Yeah. He seems like he's for real. But I think somebody else who we need to shout out positively is the boy John Prescott. Yeah. Oh, you're <laughs> oh like, man. Nah, if you look at, we were saying earlier, Charles Clark, Alan Johnson, Mandelson, Campbell, Blair himself, Brown. Oh, uh, Gordon not Bra- dead. You know, so like Brown appeared at a rally the other day and just didn't mention Corbyn once, did like a half-hour speech without mentioning that Labour has a leader. And all of these cunts are just being totally unhelpful. All of these new Labour relics... Apart from Prescott, who is praising our manifesto, is coming out and defending Corbyn, saying he should be the next prime minister, is campaigning for individual MPs, like he did some great campaigning for Angela Rayner. Owning people um, on Twitter as well. Just owning people on Twitter. <laughs> All the um, things you need to be a left superstar nowadays. Yeah, Pretty much, yeah. Do you remember Prescott's article he wrote in The Mirror about Blair, like a few weeks ago? Yeah. Absolutely seen off. Just, well, I think he, he sold he him a vision. That was whole, like, that was Prescott's whole thing. He got praised to the hills and he was the man on the left who had accepted the way things were going. And like the whole thing was like, you know, word in his ear, you know, come on, John, drop this. We'll get into government. Then we'll have power. Then we can do it. We can do anything. Look, you're deputy prime minister. Look, we've given you a big shiny post, the super department. Run with that, John. And then eventually, as it went on and it got more toxic and it lost votes every single year and it made the country worse, it made the country a worse place. And you shouldn't forget that. It did make the mm. country a worse place. He was eventually wising up day by day that, for one, Blair and Campbell and Mandelson were thrown under the bus like that. The like left is simple as that. They never fully took him on board. And two, he really does spiritually lie with us. He mm. spent his career just fighting that off and trying to be the pragmatist he probably wasn't. I'm not excusing any of the things he may have been responsible for or done in Parliament, but I think if we're taking it now as how he's contributed to the 2017 campaign, you can only have praise. Absolutely. And I think, to be fair, Prescott doesn't whitewash his record. He's not saying that everything he did in government was great. What sets him apart from a lot of these other people from that era is that he's genuinely repentant about the Iraq war. He really regrets it. He says he thinks about it and about the people who died in it every single day. And he's written articles about that. He's said that Jeremy Corbyn was right to apologise. And it's worth remembering, Prescott has a regular column in the mirror every week, I think, where he is probably one of the most dependably pro-Labour and pro-Corbyn columnists in the country. (laughs) So yeah, he actually feels really bad about the Iraq war and has apologised for it. And of course that doesn't bring people's lives back, but it does show a certain, I guess, a certain like maturity that Blair does not possess. Yeah, it's like accountability when you have gone wrong in your career and you're trying to make it right for a good good cause. Yeah, it seems human. You feel like with the rest of them, they're so bound to this terrible decision they made and this humongous failure that was on their hands that they they put up this screen and it's just like, well, no, at the time they were the facts we knew. Let's move on with life. The past is the past. And to actually be like that is sick. It's horrible, yeah. and I know it. Like It doesn't in any way excuse voting for it in the first place, and he should have showed a bit more backbone at the time. But Absolutely. the fact that he regrets it, I do find heartening. 
Oh yeah, remember we got stuck into the Bob Dylan hole at the first Dylan. half of the show. <laughs> yeah, right, I mean, you kips Bob Dylan. You kips Bob Dylan, who is running as a candidate in my local constituency. And this leaflet, he dedicates a section at the back to his criticisms of, of course, the two major parties, the Conservatives and Labour. But what I'm shocked by is that he even has space to actually draw attention to the Liberal Democrats as if they are a political force. Oh shocked. really? Bob Dylan, president. Oh, wow. Chairman, Director, Warwick Mayor, 2013 to 14, Warwick District Councillor, Parliamentary Candidate, the man, the See, myth. He's lived, the, hasn't the he? Former Conservative. Oh, he's, he's had a life. Himself. Oh. So yeah, basically, Bob Dylan is standing as a UKIP candidate in Warwick and Leamington, and uh, he was formerly a Conservative Councillor. He's like a, I was explaining this a little bit to Kieran earlier on. He's like sort of one of those kind of Simon Dangshuk characters, whereby not oh, not, not best kind of characters, not in, <laughs> in terms of how he yeah, in terms of how he gains his kind of support from having an embedded support in like the local community and stuff, and kind of knowing a lot of people that would tend to vote. I think we've mentioned it on the was it with the episode with Jude where we mentioned how Simon Dangshuk, who's running sort of like an independent campaign. He's someone who is hoping to pick up a lot of votes from the kind of following he's got or the people he knows, because he's sort of well-known around the Rochdale area. And it's sort of mm. the same here with Bob Dylan. Um, <laughs> as I said, he's a former mayor of Warwick. This was when he was a conservative councillor. But I have his LinkedIn here, and he describes the role of being a Warwick district and Warwick town councillor and mayor when he was first elected in 2007 and then went on to be a mayor in 2013 for a year. And he says, being a local councillor is a position of trust that can be a rewarding and enriching experience. It is no easy task being a councillor. <laughs> Society needs to have people, whether at a national or local level, who are able, willing and prepared to take decisions on its behalf about matters which affect the lives of citizens and who are prepared to be accountable for these. God damn, what a guy. I know. Yeah, play the times that are a-changing. It's boring. <laughs> I, love this, I love that over the background as we go through. Judas! <laughs> <laughs> Democratic election gives local councillors, like members of parliament, a special status in public life which brings with it opportunities to contribute to the well-being of society, and in doing so, responsibilities fairly and within the law. Jesus so was, Christ. So that was him describing him as a councillor and what he believes a councillor should be. So he believes in democratic election. That's what you're supposed to take from it. From the very least, he believes in democratic elections. Okay. He's also been a chairman of the local football club for like three years, and yeah. he's got people in different places and he's known for his business links around and about and now he's deciding that I'm going to stand as a UK candidate well he's got no chance in the constituency here it's really between Chris White Conservative candidate and Matt Weston who finally got chosen for Labour Matt actually. West uh, Matt West <laughs> <laughs> Matt Weston yeah I got a bit on his LinkedIn I found a great thing how he described his school you see him describe himself in school what Mython yeah he what says he's, saying? That he's a multi-talented person who loves the challenges that the world has to offer. <laughs> Just... <laughs> have you seen, like, by the way, is he a small man by any chance? I have not ever seen him in the flesh. Because uh, if he is, I'm, I'm sensing man. a bit of Napoleon complex. And in his um, <laughs> skills, he has yes. marketing strategy, business strategy, strategy, strategic planning, and oh, military. Nice. Which oh, he doesn't say anywhere he's been in the military. Oh. Oh, I think a bit of free marine the big army boy. Mm. That fucking pound shop hook'em. 
<laughs> you will never, <laughs> never be Hookham. <laughs> his, pro- no his, his profile picture is sporting the, of course, the robes that the mayors have to wear and stuff, and he's looking pretty happy in that. Oh. But on the back of his leaf, Bob Dylan explains why the Conservatives and Labour are just simply not the choice. And he does actually dedicate a small section to the Liberal Democrats as well. So he actually oh, does he? Yeah, the first person to do so. <laughs> <laughs> Even the Liberal Democrats don't mention the Liberal Democrats <laughs> in their campaign literature. <laughs> he actually gives three bullet points to the Liberal Democrats. And the first one is in bold lettering, not to be trusted. <laughs> you can say that again. Yeah, yeah. Second, no policies for Britain. That's sort of true. Because, like, the only one I've heard about is the legalisation of marijuana. That's, That's a I've policy heard. for Britain, Tom. Yeah. Oh, come on. That's very much. We've a already policy. spoken about how Labour would have run solely on that as a flagship. It would unite all ages, all generations, and we'd see a landslide Labour government. But he believes that there's no policies for Britain for the Liberal Democrats. And then he says that the Liberal Democrats are, quote, famous for putting tax on universal learning. Got Again, the right. Like, they are. So, so to be fair, his criticisms of the Liberal Democrats are mostly on point. And then he goes on about fluoride in the war and then but, but, yeah. but for the he, he puts down some of the like, more extreme views of the mild-mannered Tim Farron in the late of night when he's had a few to drink he <laughs> up and then he's like oh shit I better take that down <laughs> okay, his, his criticism of Theresa May is from a quote from when she was Home Secretary this is Bob Dylan's problem with Theresa May becoming Prime Minister this was according to them a quote she said as Home Secretary paedophiles should be allowed to adopt that's that <laughs> <laughs> Did she say that? Oh, can we take Did that? Did Theresa May can say we take that? that? Fuck it, I we'll don't... have that as an attack line. We'll take this. <laughs> yeah, okay. We can okay. take that. I don't know if that's true or not, but if Bob Dylan, the candidate for UKIP and Warwick and Leamington, is willing to run with that, I'm perfectly, you know, it tax Theresa May. The I'm conservatives are go... the party of nonces, and just like that quote above it. Well, we've okay. got something for our attack ad. So we, are we wrapping up, wrapping up now? I'm sorry, Bob, but I'm afraid I can't give you my vote on June the 8th for your vision. You voting UKIP, Tom? I, I, I cannot, I, I've got to be honest, I can't be voting UKIP, you know, because, you know, in the years before, of course, I've always voted UKIP in local elections, but I'm afraid now I cannot no longer. I have to go with Labour. I'm oh. sorry, Bob, you've lost my support. Ah, oh, disappointing, mate. That's a shame. I mean, I UKIP are going to be decimated and it's all because of you. I, <laughs> I, I can't help Bob Dylan bang the drum for local business to invest locally and boost the economy, however they intend to do that by, you know, but I'm sorry Bob, sorry. Just going to take this leap and now and just slowly just... There and that's go. it. That means you can't vote <laughs> from anymore. So, oh no! Is, oh Tom, fuck. Uh, you tore it up. Oh uh, yeah, Bob. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, this and... kind of makes up for the fact you never fucking burnt that Sunday Times supplement. Which you kept preserved for some nefarious reason. Is that a lighter right I, here, um, Tom? What, Were you trying that... to set it on fire? What, Bob Dylan? Yeah. Well, I was attempting to, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> He's burning. Uh, I can't say I have a Burt Matter copy of the New Statesman. I, uh, the... Oh, no, what, what was it of? Sunday it was Times. A... Sunday Times. Oh, no, I... I didn't burn the New I Statesman. Didn't... I just uh, drew a dick on it and threw it out. Somewhere Stuck it in the bin and then made it the picture. Oh, and Tom, you also saw an Infowars sticker in London. Oh, yeah, when I was down in London with Emily for her birthday and stuff, we were in central London going off towards London and Malibone. There were, for some fucking reason, on one of the main streets, there was a Infowars sticker just up on one of the signposts. So, <laughs> <laughs> coming, folks. Oh, Alex Jones, God. the brigade. Oh, we'll have them on. <laughs>
We'll, the Alex we'll affiliate. Infowars come on our podcast. We'll sell smooth brain. We don't care what it's called. Whenever I'm just like, oh god, I'm feeling like fucking shit. Like I haven't been out of the house in fucking days. Like I haven't seen anyone. I'm just like, no, no, guys, it's okay. We need a Paul Joseph Watson of the left. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the video with him on Infowars where literally Alex Jones like literally reduces him to no words whatsoever, where he's just like, right, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's, it's brilliant. I need to find it for you. It's just where <laughs> Jones is going off on one of his tangents about, well, I don't know, fucking probably globalists or fucking, you know, the, the various liberal yeah. conspiracies that he likes to tower. And then Paul Joseph Watson's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Just, he's literally just, he's come to the, he just, he's agreeing with him because he cannot bear to debate with him or talk with him. And he's just, <laughs> like, hilarious. Well, Did you hear that bit on Chaffo where they were talking about the InfoWars Alex Jones video about the orb? Oh, yeah. And he's talking about, like, guys, <laughs> guys, I know orb. a lot about orbs. I know an orb and I see one i know the occult but like this is fine didn't one of the polls that showed labor at 38 percent oh yeah there's been orb. two by the large sentient orb that lives above tower bridge thank like, you orb yeah thank, thank you orb. so much wasn't there a sight Bless of, the orb wasn't there a sighting of corbin levitating an orb I, I, oh I saw God, a... yeah <laughs> orbin the so glowing <laughs> red orb saying like looks like corbin's levitating a big red orb for the next surge in the polls <laughs> <laughs> to deliver socialism should we leave it on that image then i think corbin we should floating the big red orb all right lads it's been a pleasure thank you to our guest matt zarb cousin for joining us Legend. like that was fantastic talking to him and all the best stand waiting for a man to show why died one eye fixed on the door it's waiting to killing me it's wearing me Someone to hold me close forevermore I'm a sleeping dog But you can't tell
tech. It's exciting. It's young people. It's crowdsourcing.